Good morning, church. I, just like my pastor and my brother said, I appreciate all of you as well. And I think that it's important that we have this type of sermon because we're just coming off of Thanksgiving. We just celebrated a holiday that focuses on gratitude, right? And in this life, we have numerous reasons to give thanks. Me in particular, I thank God every day for allowing me to have the breath to be with you. I thank him for my beautiful wife, which he's bestowed to me and made my life so much better. My children, my family, my friends. So I have lots of reasons to be thankful, and I'm sure all of you do too. Today, I don't necessarily want to explore the reasons why you're thankful, even though we're going to be talking about that. I want to talk about the reason why you should be thankful. Why should you be thankful? What purpose does it have for you to be thankful? And I want to explore what Luke 17, 11 through 18 has to say about why it is important to be thankful through a biblical framework. Okay? I'm going to go into prayer, then we're going to get started. Father God, thank you for simply who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was Lord and Savior of lives. Right now, I'm asking that you just remove the wicked man, Gregory Holtz, and that you just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow nothing to come out of my mouth that is not in line with what you have to say. Father, it is to be edifying of you, everything that we do. And so today I'm asking that you be given all the praise because you deserve it. That you be given all the honor because you deserve it. Guide both my mouth and their hearts to be in focus with you. And that today we have a better understanding of why we should be grateful and what you have to say about it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this story, I'm going to break up into two parts. It's going to be the healing and then the return. And so the healing talks about from Luke 17, 11 through 14. Verse 11 says, on the way to Jerusalem, he passed along between Samaria and Galilee. This is a notation basically talking about the fact that Jesus is on the last stage of his earthly life. He is on his way to be crucified, and he's just making stops along the way. This is his purpose for us. For himself he was going to fulfill a purpose for all of us verse 12 as he entered into the village he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance I've been in church all of my life I've heard this story more times than I can count I've heard about leprosy numerous times but I've never known the intricacies of leprosy I always knew that leprosy is bad move on I didn't know why it was bad and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So leprosy, or modern-day Hansen's disease, is a bacteria that attacks the skin and the nerves. Right? If we look at the Greek, it means scale, flag, flake, or husk, noting that the condition of the leper's skin is thick and tough. But there's a problem that comes with leprosy. Leprosy particularly attacks the nerves and skin, removing pain receptors. So why is that bad? Okay, so it attacks you and you don't feel pain. That's the problem. You don't feel pain. You're numb to pain, you don't feel things. I, I was reading this documentary about a man who uh, visits modern day leper camps. And he was talking about the fact that he was sitting around a, ca a campfire with lepers and one of the lepers uh, dropped his bread into a fire. And what the leper did is that he stuck his hand in the fire to grab the bread and pulled it out, burning himself. He made no noise. He made no action. He couldn't tell that there was danger in the fire. 
The leprosy has caused his skin to not feel anything. And so his outside exterior was being worn and torn away with him not even realizing it. Another example is that there was a man who grabbed a rusted nail. Didn't even feel it. So leprosy is dangerous because it causes the outside destruction of your body. Not only that, if left untreated, it causes paralysis and blindness. There's open sores which make you stink, and your larynx is attacked. So you have a, a, a voice that can't shout. It's constricted. And see, not only does leprosy carry physical applications, biblically, there is a psychological thing that goes along with it. Why can I say that very easily? very easily. Lepers were outcasts and forced to live separate from society. I'm sure we all know that. Lepers were forced to identify themselves as unclean. They had to yell that they are unclean so that you wouldn't come near me if I had leprosy so you wouldn't catch it. I'd be forced to tell you about my condition where I am unclean based on the law. I could say that because in Leviticus there's specifically laws about lepers. Leviticus 13, 45 through 46 says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. In Numbers 5, 2, it says, Command the people of Israel that they put out the camp everyone who is leprous or has discharged and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. Lepers had to stand at a distance because the law commanded them to. It, it was so bad that not only were they in this condition, but people would sometimes throw stones at them to make sure that they're not within range of them. They don't want to catch what they have. Why is that? Not only was this a debilitating physical disease, not only did this have psychological and social impacts, it was viewed as a divine curse from God. Why is that? Because man could not cure that disease. There was nothing in the ancient world that could cure the disease. Modern day, if you catch it early enough, then you can, you can cure it. And it's not as widespread as the Bible thought. But the interesting thing is, even though we are in modern day times, once you have, once you got a point uh, past a stage of leprosy, it cannot be cured. So even both modern day and ancient day kind of confirm that no man can really cure leprosy once it's got going. And so that's why it was viewed as a divine curse. And because leprosy was so visible and involved the decay and the corruption of body, it serves as an excellent symbol for sin. How can I say that? In the same way that the body of the leper is numb to pain, whenever you have sin and you become comfortable with sin, you become desensitized to sin, you cause damage to yourself without even realizing it. The pain and the damaging effects of sin no longer affect you because you are ignoring your pain receptors sent by the Holy Spirit. You know better, and yet there are people that continue within their sin, and they remove their consciousness. I want to do this thing because it makes me feel right. I don't care what God is telling me. I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. All meanwhile harming themselves, burning themselves, destroying themselves, living full of sin, yet killing themselves 
physically and spiritually. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says, Now this I say, testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They darken their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. Due to what? Their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to every sensuality, greedy practices of every impurity. The Bible specifically uses this disease because it talks and it illustrates sin in the greatest form. When one is numb to sin, their conscience is silent and they no longer feel the sting of shame. And so we see why the Bible constantly uses the example of leprosy and why it is so impactful. So we have a better understanding of why these men were crying out to Jesus to cure them of something that could not be cured by men, that they could not remove from themselves similar to sin. Verse 13, and they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This verse kind of clarifies that they knew something about Jesus. You don't just randomly yell out to people to cure them. You, I'm sure they've had numerous people walk past them, and they had to yell unclean, unclean, but they particularly knew that Jesus had something special about him. They had to have heard the fact that he was a miracle maker. They had to heard the fact that he cured others. So quite possibly, this was their chance to get their healing. They knew that Jesus was the one and only person that could help them. Have mercy on us. I find that to particularly be interesting. They asked for mercy. We should be thankful for God's mercy in our lives. Every day, we exist without giving the punishment that we do deserve. And better yet, he puts you in a good place, an open place, a place that we do not deserve. deserve. Nothing that we've done has made us qualified to have all the blessings that God continues to give you. We should be thankful for his mercy. Mercy is translated as to have compassion on or to pity. And sometimes we get grace and mercy confused. These are two separate entities that work together, but they're separate. Grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy is when God does not give us what we do deserve. And so... In this story, they're asking Jesus, please Jesus, take this punishment, take this divine curse off of us. They're not necessarily saying that they don't deserve it. They just want it off of them. Please remove this. It's interesting because this is, whenever you ask for mercy, you're asking for an appeal to authority, right? Not everyone can, can remove judgment from you. You have to go to someone who's above you. And so they wanted relief from judgment and they appealed to the highest power, the one who has the right to punish. That's why they were asking Jesus, please heal me. Master, teacher, rabbi, you are the one that has a connection to God. You are the one who is able to perform miracles. Perform a miracle for us. These imperfect people were asking mercy from a perfect God. And we all need mercy. 
Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And even though we are brought forth in iniquity according to Psalms 51 and 5, God knows all of our sins and provides compassion for us. Can I take you back to Psalms where in Psalms 145, 8 through 9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he made. And so we see that even though they are in a particular blight, they knew who to run to. They knew who to ask for help. They knew who to call on. Jesus. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I, I always find it interesting that Jesus uses different methods of healing. It's never the same, so we can't get locked in ritualism. But he always provides a way out of no way for people that need help. He didn't touch them. He just gave a command. Go. Go to the priest. This is a remarkable yet simple command from Jesus Christ. He told them to go to the priest while they were still lepers. They weren't cured yet. He said, go. Even in the midst of your condition, listen to me. Even in the midst of your pain and suffering, listen to me. Even though it doesn't feel right and doesn't feel good, listen to me. And this action was faith by the lepers. They have some sort of faith, we see, because if they didn't, they wouldn't have gone. There was no bona fide proof. They just had to go by faith. And so the fact that all 10 lepers left means that they had some sort of faith in what Jesus had to say in his instructions. And there was no promise of healing. Just go. Which makes sense. They called him master, so one would only assume that you would follow the master's instructions. That's obedience. If we call Jesus our master, we say God is Lord of all, then it would behoove us to actually listen to his instructions. It would behoove us to understand what he has for us and move according to what he wants for us. And see, there's a little bit of absurdity which we see in this, that they are walking towards the priest while they are not healed. That takes a lot of faith. You're walking in your condition. You're being told to go do something that you know is not supposed to be done, and yet you're moving in it. There's that same absurdity that we saw with the healing of the blind man when Jesus told him to go to the pool while he was still blind and to wash his eyes. And he had the faith to do it. Sometimes faith will take you to places where you don't expect to go. And see, they had to believe what Jesus said in order to, believe, to get that healing. And it's also interesting because the priests of that time denied Jesus' authority and deity. But now, could you only imagine that this priest who says that Jesus is not Lord, you're not the Messiah, now has ten lepers coming to him, asking for confirmation of healing. Who healed you, Jesus? So for at least eight days, according to the law, he would have to face the fact that Jesus was not only following the law, but doing only what God can do, which was heal. Not only that, he would have to publicly announce them to be clean, confirming that Jesus has the authority to heal and his adherence to the law. I found that to be a little bit interesting. 
I thought that was interesting because Jesus has a way of making himself known, whether they realize it or not. And see, there's also something interesting that God has provided in the comfort of the law of the leper in Leviticus 13. Leprosy was incurable by human standards. So why would you make a way for the leper to be clean? If no man could do it, why would you provide an extra way for them to be bona fide, to be clean, to have the ability to come back into society? If humans couldn't do it, why is that there? Let me tell you. Because God can do it. God can do the impossible. See, God put in that law specifically so that he can make a way out of no way. And what we think is impossible is not impossible for God. So much so that he made it law. I provided a way for the cleaning. You can't do it. I'm putting that there so that you know that God did it. He did it multiple times within the Old Testament. And now he's doing it again in the New Testament. That there is only one way to be fully cleaned of leprosy. That is God. No one else. Not Muhammad. Not the Vishnu. God. Only God. And so we can be thankful that God is making ways out of no way. That he provides for us in ways that we can't even imagine. And as they went, they were cleansed. God blessed these men because they stepped out on faith. And there are times when you cannot wait until your problem is over to walk out on faith. You can't be staring at your condition and have no faith to move. If God has the ability to save you, and if God has the ability to keep you, God will keep you in your situation, whether it looks terrible or not. The God that we serve is consistent. He is faithful and uh, long-suffering, so we can move in faith regardless of how we feel. The lepers had to walk in their leprosy regardless of what their physical condition. And understand that leprosy takes limbs. It takes body parts away. And being told to walk while they're in painful condition is something amazing. But the fact that they, as they were walking, they were getting healed. It didn't happen immediately, but as they were walking, they were getting healed. Fingers started coming back. Skin started to reform. The blights started to heal up again. Their faith is healing them. They're walking and getting healed at the same time. See, God will give you an opportunity to be thankful about nothing. You might have nothing to give thanks to God, but there are so many reasons to be thankful. Even when you don't feel like giving thanks, God will give you an opportunity to thank him. And that's what we see within these ten lepers. And within the midst of thankfulness, we're going to do the second part, the return, Luke 17, 15 through 19. This is really the part of the story that the Bible really wants us to understand. Yes, there is a healing. And yes, we're going to be talking about salvation. But really, the crux of this is about gratitude. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. All ten lepers were fine doing the ritualistic ceremony of going to the priest. One of them was only fully, truly filled with praise and worship. One of them realized the gravity of what just happened in their life. One of them recognized that not only am I being healed, not only has my breakthrough come by, 
I've experienced something that is greater than myself. He understood the real implications of what just happened. He wasn't as much concerned with going back to his family, going back to society like the other nine. He had something greater that just happened to him. And he had to go say thank you. See, it is possible that he had a different perspective from the other nine due to his hardships and the way that the world treated him. One, he was a leper, and two, he was a Samaritan. So he had something completely different than his brother and that he was with at that time. He understood that he was in the presence of God. And he understood the goodness of God at that very moment. He knew that God was not just a healer, but God was his savior. Not only did God remove the physical plight, he removed the social, the spiritual plight, and the best thing that he could do at that moment was not to go home, was not to participate in the ritual, was not to go see his boo, was to go thank God. Do we have that same mentality? Do we have that same spirit of I have to thank God before I start doing other things? I was reading um, an article that was similar to this, talking about gratefulness. And most people, like, well, whenever, what would you do if you had a million dollars? What would you do if you became president? What would you do? And they start to say, like, I would do this. I would do this. I would do X, Y, and Z. What about thanking God first for allowing that opportunity to happen, for allowing that blessing to happen? Why wouldn't you thank God? Why would you be consumed with all these earthly things and not thank the giver of your blessing? And see, this leper was not ashamed to worship God in public. I, I like this leper. He, he was healed and he realized his circumstances. He realized his blight. He realized his condition. And he gave thanks to the one who saved him publicly. Are we ashamed to give glory to God publicly? Are you ashamed to say, Jesus Christ is Lord at all times. Are you ashamed to proclaim that I, I'm a Christian and, and Jesus Christ died for my sins? Are you ashamed to say that? Do you just hold it deep within your heart and being, a, as what Tony Evans says, a CIA uh, Christian in silence or something like that? I, he does it better than I do. But we have to show gratefulness. And see, the Greek word here for gratefulness is used 38 times in the New Testament, and it's always directed towards God. And see, before he was announcing his uncleanness, he was unclean, and now he's pronouncing his cleanness. Now he's pronouncing his gratitude to the Almighty God. Now he's shouting the best of his abilities. I'm sure that he didn't know how to functionally shout because before he had leprosy, so his larynx was messed up. So I'm sure it was whatever he could muster, but it didn't matter because he had to give praise to God. Regardless of how he felt, this man had a grateful heart. For this man thanking God for what he has done was the most important thing that he could do. More important than reintegrating with society. More important than whatever other plans he had. He had to thank God. And see, those that have received mercy from God should publish it to others that they too can praise God. 
It makes sense for me to tell you how good God has been so that you can understand how good God has been in your life. It is infectious. God has been good for everybody. But sometimes we don't see it. We're blinded by these things. And so proclaiming the goodness of God to others will help rectify that blindness and so that they can give praise to God and relieve the blindness from their life. These experiences will make us trust him and understand how good he is. And the Bible specifically is making point to let you know that this man is a Samaritan. There's, there's multiple implications for that. So not only was he a leper, but he was a Samaritan, which the Bible is telling you. So even though he was cured physically, he still had cultural problems that he had to go through. See, it's funny because all 10 of them were bound together regardless of their race due to their leprosy. And now once the leprosy is gone, now they've gone from outcasting him again. He is no longer their brethren because now he's Samaritan, no longer leper. We are no longer in the same category, so you get pushed out. Understand that the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. Why is that? So when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, many Israelites were exiled, but some were left behind. Then the Assyrians brought captives from other lands to Israel. As a result, many of these Jews began to intermarry with these new people. And these Samaritans were the result of this. And so they were completely separate from the Jews. They were completely separate entities. And so there was a lot of animosity between the two. And because his roots were different than the Jews, he had to go to a different holy place. He was no longer bond together with the Jews, which he had been suffering with in leprosy. Now he was different. Now you go somewhere else. Now you're separate. And see, the Samaritans were separate from the Jewish church. And it did not have the pure knowledge and worship of God among them that the Jews had. And yet, this Samaritan is the one who came back and gave glory to God. You would think that the, the nine would come. They know that God is good. They know. They've heard the story of Damon. They've heard the fact that God is the one who makes a way out of nowhere. And yet, they didn't come back to thank him. They knew better. Yet, they didn't do it. But the one who didn't know better came back and gave glory to God. The gifts that God gives us should make us humble like this man. They should bring us low on our knees on how much that God has given to us. Verse 17 through 18, Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus is noting their lack of gratitude. And we know that this is a rhetorical question because of the way that the Greek is lined up. It literally means, but the nine, where? Where are the other nine that I healed? I healed ten of you. One of you is back. Where are the nine? And so often, once man gets what he or she wants, they never come back. They get what you want, they use you, then they go about their way. No gratitude. Just using you as an item. They used, they knew the fact that Jesus was merciful, they knew the fact that God is a healer, and they got their healing, and they skedaddled along their way. Now, I can't be 
necessarily too hard. I don't know what their thought process may. Maybe they thought they can come back. But according to the Bible, they never came back. They had other important things to do. They wanted to get back to society. They wanted to get back to their position. And the, Bible's just, the Bible is telling us that ingratitude is a very common sin. Think about the fact that Jesus healed them of the most debilitating disease in the ancient world that isolated them in all facets. They were freed from a literal death sentence. And not one of them besides the one, the nine, did not come back to give thanks. The gravity of what God has done for them and their ability to give gratitude is amazing. You would think that once someone cured you of something that you thought that you would have for your entire life, just by command, he healed it. You wouldn't think to give thanks at the very least, write him a card and send him a postcard or something. They didn't do anything. They just kept on going. And they knew better. But they kept on trucking. They took the miracle and they ran. Matthew 5 45, tell this that your father in heaven causes his son to rise on evil and good and sends his reign to the righteous and unrighteous. Jesus loved them enough to save them. They didn't love him enough to thank him. See, many receive mercy and grace and blessings from God, but very few of them actually give thanks for it. Paul writes in Romans 1, 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks because of their fut- because of the futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We live today in a society that takes from God but won't thank God. They'll use what God has but attribute it to themselves. God literally gave them breath and some use it to curse his name. Some enjoy the world that Jesus sustains and in yet giving him praise. They'll give praise to the theories of, of, of everything coming from nothing and evolution that we came from pond scum, but that's not what the Bible says. They prefer to have their own mentality. They want to lean on what their own understanding is rather than God. They walk contrary to what God has made for them, choosing to worship their own sexuality and label themselves other than something that God has given them. God has made man and woman, and yet there are people that walk outside of that, contrary to what God says, not being thankful for the gift and the expression that God has put in them, a unique creature, and yet they refuse that label that God has given them. See, a thankless person believes that he or, she, he or she is the center of their world, that everything they have was earned and nothing was a gift. The Bible lets us know that ingratitude is rejection of God. When you have an ingrateful spirit, when you think that you've done everything, when you believe that you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps but didn't actually make the bootstraps, you are ingratious. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, but understand this, that in these last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lover of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not knowing love, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A thankless person is full of pride. One of the sins that we keep seeing rearing its ugly head over and over and over again. Verse 18 was none of them found to return to give praise to God except for this foreigner. See, this question was not necessarily for the Samaritan that came back or for the nine that haven't come back. It was for the people around Jesus. It was for the disciples. It was for the on watchers. Why is that? This foreigner is doing what the Jews were supposed to be doing. They had knowledge of the Messiah and his coming. They should have recognized God walking amongst them, and yet they did not. Their lack of responsiveness was a common theme that Luke was trying to point out at this point. And see, there are times when people are so used to receiving what God has given them that they become numb and callous and can't even give thanks for waking up in the morning. That the food in their plate means nothing. It's just there. I always get this. You can't even give thanks for it. You don't deserve a thing. God has blessed you with all that you have. And he continues to bless you. Every breath that you are taking right now is only because God allowed it to happen. You woke up because God says you can wake up. You didn't do that. You have no functionality over that. That's what God says. And God loves you so much to allow you to have another day to allow you to give him praise, to allow you to be able to give God all glory. And see, this is what Jesus is, is noting out through the disobedience of nine and the obedience of one. See, as Christians, we, mu- we must not behave like the nine, but instead behave like the one. We are called to be a people full of thanksgiving and should be grateful for all that God has done. Once you have a thankful spirit, you understand that whatever you have whatever you are, and wherever you're going is because God allowed it to happen. You link it to what God has to say. And the Bible frequently links God's goodness to gratitude. Psalms 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thankfulness is a bedrock to being a Christian. It reminds you of how much God has done for you. And once you have that recognition, you will understand that the Lord is gracious to you, that he continues to keep you in all things, that he loves you so much, and that he keeps you through every trial that you have. That is the greatness of the Lord. And see, there's a lot of talk about steadfast love, steadfast love. And so steadfast love is a term used for whenever you feel like nothing is going right in your life that nothing seems to be going wrong. How can God love me? It doesn't feel like God loves me, but he is telling you that even though you don't feel like it, he's with you. Be thankful for God's love, who does not change at all. He loved you even before you came to him, and he loves you now. He loves all of us so much that each and every day is a new mercy according to Lamentations, not just for us, but for the sinners out there Why? Because it's another day for them to repent. It's one more day that they have the chance 
to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for us who believe that God is God, it's another day for us to give him praise, to be thankful for it. Thank you for allowing me to wake up this morning. Thank you for allowing me to be in my right mind. I don't have to be here. I didn't have to make it. Thousands of people die every day. And yet I'm here. And yet I'm in my right mind. There's no reason not to be thankful. I don't care that I'm tired. You should be thankful. I don't care that you don't feel well. You should be thankful. Why? Because God keeps you past your feelings. I know I say this pretty frequently, but it's, it's something that never leaves me. That when I used to work as a social worker, I used to deal with people, and they told me that today is my worst day, and I tell them, you told me that three weeks ago. Every day that you have a chance is a gift from God, is a mercy renewed, and we should be thankful for that. And as Christians, we have that mindset. I can understand why sinners don't have that, because their dependency is upon nothing. Our dependency is upon a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again and sent us his Holy Spirit that keeps you and informs you every day. We have that. So we have a reason to be thankful, even when we feel like we don't have anything to give thanks for. And so I'm hoping today that we have a better understanding of why we should be thankful. It's a perspective change that is ordered by God. See, every day, his mercy is overcoming our troubles, and his grace is overcoming our despair. There's a theologian that uh, I was reading named J.I. Packer, and he said that every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sunshine, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, and everything else that sustains us and enriches our life is a divine gift. We must understand that there is no area where God has not been gracious to us, full of mercy and kindness. That is the God that we serve, and that is the example that we're seeing within this story. And so we must have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because God commands us to. In his word, it says that it is the will of God that we should give thanks for him in all things. It is God's will. It makes sense because it keeps you from having a heart that is callous to the Holy Spirit. When you recognize that God has given you things and you don't become haughty in yourself, it becomes easier to praise God. When you have a mindset of giving thanks, it's easier to continuously give thanks and understand what God has done for you. God is making you give thanks because it keeps you well within your mind and your spirit. God cares for you even more than you care for yourself by instructing you to these things. To give thanks for all things, even at your worst moment, give thanks. At your best moment, give thanks. We don't feel like giving thanks. Give thanks. This is the element of the story of the lepers. Give thanks. Don't be like the nine. Don't become callous to the Holy Spirit. Give thanks and recognize all that God has done for you. Give thanks. Thanks.